Welcome, I am your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. The word authentic comes from ancient Greek. It is the composite of two words, authos, which means self, and entos, which means inside. Authentic really means the inside self or the true self. So, if you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In our show, we talk to leaders who went through the process of clearly understanding their true selves and articulating their core values. These leaders make decisions and take actions that are always consistent with those values. Our guests take us through their journey of self-discovery, share their successes, and are candid about their challenges. And because authentic leadership requires engaging your whole self, we also talk about how their personal passions intersect with and support their professional life. Our featured guest is Kathy Dyer. Today, Kathy spends her time serving on a number of corporate and non-for-profit boards, but she has decades of experience leading large global firms. She has been on the senior leadership team at IBM, where she led AI business development. She was on the global management team at American Express, where she was also the general manager and global CMO for the merchant services business. Prior to that, she was the chief transformation officer for the media and digital marketing business unit of Publicis Group, which is one of the largest global marketing and advertising agency networks in the world. To give you an idea, the division includes about 20,000 team members. She was promoted to the role from one of the Publicis agencies, Digitas, where she was a member of the executive committee and an EVP of marketing. And prior to that, she had been the CMO at Advanta, the credit card company. Kathy is also passionate about service, and she has spent 12 years as a board member of CARE, an organization that for the past 75 years has been working around the globe to save lives, defeat poverty, and achieve social justice. In a show where I discuss authentic leadership, I felt it was important to feature some of the people who have been role models to me in real life, and Kathy is the first of these guests. I worked on Kathy's team at Digitas for almost a year, and that is actually the starting point in our conversation. Later in our discussion, Kathy talks about how she formed her leadership style, what she learned from Sunky Mentors, and the importance of being well-rounded. She talks about how interests outside of work have impacted her career. Specifically, she talks about how her work at CARE and her passion for travel have made her much better in her role as a leader in global firms. So here is the episode, and make sure you stay until the end to hear the business cliché that makes Kathy cringe and a form of art that inspires her. We're here for a new episode of Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, and I'm very excited to have as a guest, Kathy Dyer. Um, and Kathy is somebody I worked with uh, a number of years ago, and she's really one of the people who have shaped my views on leadership. Uh, and there were two things, specifically two episodes, that uh, influence my leadership. The first one is Kathy ran the largest relationship in our agency, and I realized that the culture that she had created on the team was a culture where the leaders never took credit for their work. The leaders always put themselves in the back of the room and gave credit to the other people on the team. And that is something that I have tried as I moved on in my career to incorporate in my leadership style. And then second, um, there was a moment in my career I was actually promoted on Kathy's team and then I moved to another team and um, there was a round of cost cutting and I was laid off by Digitas. And I remember Kathy called me in her office and, you know, that she had heard the news and she shared with me and, and Kathy, at this stage, I'm going to ask you to share the story. So she shared with me her story of leaving Advanta as a CMO. 
Yes. So many years ago, I was the chief marketing officer of a very high growth Visa MasterCard issue where we were a top 10. And there came a time when the chairman of my, it was a public company, when the chairman of my company decided to sell the credit card business, which was the crown jewel. And I had an amazingly talented team that had taken on Citibank and American Express. And we really had just together knocked down walls. And when my chairman decided decided to sell the credit card business, the new CEO who was hired to come and lead it had negotiated in his contract, it's just the way he rolled, that he brought with him his kitchen cabinet from other companies. So I was out. The CFO was out and the chief operating officer were out. It wasn't personal. He didn't know us. He'd never met us. It's just how he rolled. So it was kind of more than devastating to receive the news and to know um, that this was ending. Trees don't grow to the sky, uh, someone once said to me. So what I had to do is reflect on the fact that I had had a six-year amazing run at this organization and it was over. And I need it to know that it was over and it wasn't personal. So part of what um, what I will share beyond that is as I sort of tried, and it took a while, right, to pick myself up and stare down what was happening because it was happening, to me is what I realized is that a team of about 200 people, guess what? They were not out. I was. And they began to, um, in the early days, wonder then about this new management and what did it mean and would they be at risk for their job? So what I realized quickly I had to do was to wrap my head around the fact that I needed to go ahead and leave the office and I needed to encourage them to say that the best days could yet be ahead for them that we were acquired because of the capabilities that they developed and that they just needed to carry on and make the future better than what it had been, even though we had great days together. And so you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and focus on the others. Yeah. And, you know, and I have to say personally, the fact that somebody that I respected as much as I respected you then and now had shared that she had gone through something similar and the wishes that you made for my career and the encouragement really helped me through the other years. I will also add that you went on to have an amazing career because after Advanta, uh, we crossed path when you were yeah. running the that team at Digitus. And then you went on to become the chief transformation officer at Publicis through the whole yes. uh, acquisition process. You've been a general manager and a CMO of the merchant business American Express. And you've led the AI team at... Uh, IBM, is that correct? And now you're just focusing on boards. So it is, uh, I, I think that your journey has been an example and, and, and an example for me. And as I said, for me, it was really just that moment of leadership and vulnerability to say to somebody who's been let go, look, it's not the end of the world. I've gone through it too, and you will be okay. And, and it's really that, that willingness to share that, that was important. Now, um, you've had, as I said, uh, a long career, and, and I think that by the time I crossed path with you, you had a pretty definite style and way of management. So I'm, I'm interested if you, if you want to take me through maybe the beginning of your career and some of the moments where you really started to figure out who you wanted to be as a leader and, um, and how that came about. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was trying to think of a word that actually would incorporate it over time. And I'll give you an example, um, Dino. And I think that when you really find your hit your stride and find your own bearings, in my case, it was to really find myself that I could always act with courage. And the courage might be to bring up, to talk about things that weren't easy to talk about, whether it's giving someone feedback or speaking truth to power or speaking up at a time when if you don't, there will be bad consequences for others later. So if you'd like, I'll give you an example. Yeah, uh, that would be great. That came in my Digitas days, and you know our um, beloved and um, wonderful CEO, David um, Kenny, who we had there. So I was leading a new business pitch. And David did join the pitch. It was in upstate New York. And it was for a client that honestly wasn't known maybe for treating agencies as partners. And we were near the end of the pitch. We'd done a fabulous job. We brought great insights and ideas. And at the end of the pitch, the senior person on the client side said, I want to know if you'd be willing to put all of your fee at risk if we we will ask you to guarantee in market results in a few short months and if you don't make it will you put your fee at risk and my ceo indicated that we would and i realized this was a new product launch there was no baseline on which to iterate or build it was a new product they didn't know if their product would be a success and inside our firm and our culture we were a young company we couldn't have afforded you know, to eat all of that. And I thought also, you know, Dino, you know what it was like at Digitas. We live to share our stories on the stage and people then get recruited to other teams and other assignments. So for me, it seemed like not a good scenario in which to agree to do that. And it was fleeting and passing. And I had about 30 seconds to decide. And I spoke up and I said, for these reasons, I think it might be better if a year from now, let's get this in in market a year from now, perhaps we could make part of this a performance-based compensation. Today, we don't know and you don't know. So I spoke up in the face of a CEO who had said yes to something in front of the client. And what I wanted to say about it, it was the right thing for the team and for our company. And um, to the testament of our CEO, he went right along with me in the meeting and never was there a moment of calling me out later to say, oh my, I was kind of surprised you did that. We just carried on. So, you know, we learned from the examples of other and I knew I could trust him. Yeah, that's great. So um, I have a question. What is authenticity to you? And, you know, if you think about your your true self, like, how did you find your true self? Yeah, I think it's um, from this notion of just always staring down the truth, thinking of the implications broadly of a decision you make. Yes, for yourself. Yes, for the team. Yes, for the bottom line. Yes, for the reputation of all involved. I think authenticity is doing that synthesis and that distillate 
and saying, where does this all net out if I do door number one or door number two? And again, having the courage to come back and take the position that you know to be the best one and the right one. So over the years, um, I, I would say that's sort of been, you know, my story is to know that the people on your team matter enormously and people invested in me and my career and um, it's just so easy and gratifying to know that you might invest in in others and you know because of it there might be a little skip in their step or wind at their back yes and um so you it's interesting you mentioned people who have invested in your career is there any other is there any mentor that comes to you like moments where you had like aha that's something that i want to incorporate in my leadership and who i want to be so my very first true uh, mentor was very young in my career. And like you, um, Dino, she was a, a Harvard Business School graduate. And early in my career, she was senior, I was junior. I was fortunate to be in a situation, there was a lot of gaps between us. So I learned a lot. But the, the thing above all that I learned from her, and it was natural for her that I've tried to emulate, is she knew the distinction between feedback as an investment in a person versus a report card. So every year, all year long, she gave me an attaboy. If I did something that was positive, she immediately in real time, if I did something that wasn't terrific, could have been better, whatever, she immediately took me aside and said, you're stale in that presentation. You're going to have to mix it up. You need some new slides, whatever it might be. But the thing that I want to convey is it was clear to me that everything she was doing was investing in making me better. So at review time every year, I couldn't wait. And it would have been, a, it, I would have thought we were squandering our hour together if we recapped what I did well or poorly. The mm -hmm. whole time was spent talking about my future. And we talked about gaps in two ways. Kathy, we've been working on this. You've improved. You have more to go. But more importantly, let's talk about where you're going. And there are gaps because there are experiences that you've simply never had. So let's plan for your future. So just craved her feedback. She was on my side. She was coaching me. And I think, I wish that more folks um came forward with their own people in that spirit so that they would crave the feedback versus um, think of it as a black mark when there was something helpful. Yes. And this is a, it's something that I can definitely, it's interesting because I can definitely think of conversations that I've had with you in the time we worked together um, and particularly conversations where things could have improved. Yeah. You know, it was, a, it was, a, there was always like a, it was, there was never a threat, which I think to me was the important things, but it was always firm in a very good way. Um, so pivoting a little bit, um, you know, obviously you've had a lot of success in your career, but, you know, as we progress in our career in life, maybe the measure of success changed. So what is success to you and how do you measure it? Mm -hmm. You know, success for me is um, really two things. Um, have, has my tenure in a role resulted in progress for the business? Has it resulted in progress for the people I've been entrusted with? And so I look back and that's how I measure, is the business better off than it would have been? Has it grown? Has it increased profitability? And are people 
um, hitting their stride and and knowing that they can take on bigger and bigger or different, as the case may be, roles. Are they more confident? Are they better leaders of others? So that's really the way I look at it, the people dimension and the business dimension. And we both know they go hand in hand. And what about like just in general and, you know, overall within your personal life and and, and just like, you know, if you're, if you're people that are marking their their life trajectory, et cetera, and thinking what's important and, and how do you measure and how do you keep yourself honest to your goals? You know, my, um, my thought on that, and I guess it's true also, even maybe I'll just use the example of my daughters, is what I think of as successful and how I measure it is we all need to chart the course that brings us joy, that we are able to do well, because that's when we're happy versus when we're striving to be something we're not or to go into a field. So I always encourage people and my daughters say it to me all the time. They say, mom, you taught us, you be you. You wanted a corporate business career. One of my daughters is a designer, uh, an interior you know, designer. She does home renovations. I could never do that. So they've chosen their path based on what makes them happy, what they do well. So um, I think what, what I think of is don't prejudge. Um, choose the thing that brings you joy that you do well and therefore you'll be satisfied and just be true to it and own it, whatever it may be. That's very true. I'm also thinking about the fact that even from the time when we were working together, uh, there was a component of service in your goals and yeah, and how you've brought maybe your personal savvy and, and business knowledge to other areas. Yes. So I was given an, an opportunity at a fairly young age to join the Board of Care, which is a global NGO um, that work, has programs against poverty in about 100 developing countries. And that was an opportunity that opened my eyes to inequalities and gaps and unconscionable uh, treatment of some um, people in so many ways. And so it so this goes back and forth for me, Dino. Number one, um, it was the most fulfilling thing I ever did to bring my commercial, if you will, my business skills to bear on helping an organization with that mission, number one. Number two, the thing that I will share that I think always happens is dividends that come in reverse. As you mentioned, my taking the role of the chief transformation officer with the unit of publicists, I was chosen in part for that role because I had more of a global sensibility than perhaps some of our colleagues at my level. I had spent time in Bangladesh, in India, in uh, East Africa, and, and, you know, poor parts of South America. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's important to be a whole person, not perhaps just narrowly focused on a career um, in an industry in a commercial sense. So it enriched me and it also... Um, it brought me pleasure. And it also, uh, I didn't go into it thinking that, but it catapulted my career. I'm interested, given you've spent time in all these places in the world, is there one experience that come to mind as maybe a play, you know, that sticks in your memory that really had a profound impact on you and, 
So many, um, so many examples. I guess um, one of the ones that comes to my mind was in Ecuador, seeing a program that CARE had developed. It's a country where single um, expectant moms are um, cast aside, are not given access to the right health care. Um, many you know, the women die, the children die. Anyway, so CARE put in place a program that offered um, maternal health care, safe deliveries, and six years of immunization for the children, for women who were cast aside otherwise. And it was so successful that ultimately the government of Ecuador uh, closed down its public health program and maternal health and adopted this and took it on for the country. And so I guess for me, it was a lesson, you know, at Digitas, we always did pilots and everywhere, but it was a lesson for me when something is so well designed and has such an important reason for being or mission, and you put great minds behind it, the power uh, of what, you know, of what can can be done to improve the world. So as you think about your leadership approach, um, what are some of the lessons you incorporated based on your experience working with care and in some of these countries all over the world? Mm -hmm. Well, first and foremost, I think um, is the notion that you must see and treat absolutely everyone with dignity. Uh, it's not the case um, for a lot of these people. So I, I think that's true at absolutely every level. Number two, you must see everyone for their potential. You must assume that if um, given the chance, people actually don't want to hand out. What people really want is the chance to latch on to something that lets them improve themselves, whether that's in the developing world or, or in Boston. Um, and, um, you know, back to measurement, to the, back to the Ecuador program, very specific tracking uh, programs, uh, tracking mechanisms were put in place to measure participation. You know, did the women come for this? Did they, you know, what, what was the health of the women and the children? So when you put something together and you actually um, really methodically and systematically measure its improvement then, you know, the country adopted it uh, across the board. So all of these things, and so there's a heart and a spirit, but there's also a discipline to an approach and to making sure you've understood the outcomes. Yes. Yeah, so if you, if we were to, after all this conversation, summarize quickly your leadership style and then the traits that you look in okay. people, like how would you define that? Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to give you, someone actually gave me feedback once to describe how that person experienced um, my leadership. And it was a Digitas example. So maybe I'll just offer you those words. Um, you used the word front and, and rear, or I think earlier, but someone said to me who was a leader, led a team on one of my clients. She said to me, you know what, Kathy, here's, here's how we experience you. You bring us together as a group and you lead us and get our input and we have a clear strategy. We know where we're going and why. So you're out in front initially. Then what happens is you... Um, you will go back to the rear to let us do our thing, to have credit for what we're doing, to own it, to get nicked up or to have a success. So you're in the rear, not micromanaging us. She said, but there's an important middle. And that is 
um, you're at the front of the boat, then you're at the rear of the boat. She said, but the minute we hit storms and choppy water, you're in the boat rowing. You don't abandon us and say, but I let you do that and you failed. You're actually in there getting it done and sorting it out and there's no blame game. Um, so, uh, you know, I was flattered. I thought maybe that was a... Um, that that was a nice way to depict it. And I think it is the way I try to operate. <laughs> so Yeah. Cause intentionality is important, right? As a leader, there's a point where you need, when you realize that if you want to be an effective leader, you need to define who you want to be as a leader. Exactly. And there was a second part. Did I leave out the second part to your question, Dean, or did that answer? The it's like, well, no, well, the second part is like, you know, obviously if you're looking in people, you know, what leadership traits you're looking for in, oh, in yeah. people. Yeah. As a reflection of, yeah. Yeah. So for me, honestly, um, it's really clear to me what I look for. I look for um, energy. Yeah. I look for ambition. I look for integrity. And importantly, consistent with this whole conversation, I look for what I call, and I use this term with people, whole people. Yes, I want people who are genius at their jobs or good at their jobs, whatever the case but back to my example of care or whatever it may be, it is my belief that people are more effective and more seen as a role model, an aspirational leader to, to their own teams if there are multiple dimensions, not just, oh, she's so good at strategy, right? But to say, you know, I, I want to be involved in those other things. And it also gives people permission to um, and an invitation to participate um, broadly, you encourage them to use some of their time for a service, which is a growth example for them and great reputation for our firm. Yeah, that's all true. And I think I, I have to say some of it, I can say I've experienced directly working with you. Um, you know, part of part of growing as a leader is going through crisis. I, I think like you, you probably really see who you are as a leader when you go through a challenge in time. So I'm wondering if there's a personal crisis or a failure that you face and you know how that shaped you as a leader and what were some of the challenges and, and I ask you to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, well, and let me say, let me say this, because I was thinking about um, vulnerable. And I was reading your, um, you know, reading certainly uh, a little bit about before we came to our conversation. And I would like to share with you sort of my brand, if you will, of, of, of vulnerable and how I that because I've had this example at least twice at Digitas with people who on my team were leaders and they got great results, but there was something in um, vulnerability that I think they needed to learn. For me in the workplace, the way that manifests itself is that people don't realize people need to be needed. And so what I mean by that is if there was someone who worked in one capability and got a broadened role to lead a cross-functional team, that person brought insecurities and wanted to master all the functions in which he was an expert and then not need the leaders. And guess what? You don't have a team when that happens because they ask to be reassigned. So I think um, people are needed. I couldn't do anything alone. I could, if, if I had 10 different capabilities on my team, I might be qualified to lead two of them directly as a subject matter expert. And guess what? That means eight. No. So for me, the vulnerable it's, it's my brand of vulnerability is to make sure that you've understood that your job 
is not to do everyone's job or even be able to, but um, that you're not perfect and that you're not setting out to do that. So just as, you know, as a story, I, that's one thing I say. It's, it's, it's to me a twist on vulnerability, but it's the mistake that I've seen two successful people make. And also people didn't want to work on their teams. They wanted to bring what they knew to the team and to be needed. All right. So we're going to close with this on the leadership section. So if you have like three leadership tips that we can give to our listeners and something that they could put in practice, things that have worked for you or, you know, if you say like three things that they should do. Yeah. So um, I did think a little bit about that. We had the chance to touch on one of them, and that is I think good leaders master feedback in an advocacy mode. Right. I'm mm -hmm. on your side. I'm helping you be better. Back to courage. So learn to give feedback so that people want it from you. They don't dread it from you. Number two, the other thing that I would say is if you take a position on some topic, you have a point of view and you're entrenched. If you are exposed to new data or just to another influential point of view and someone is able to persuade you with argument that perhaps your, your answer isn't the best one, you need to learn to graciously immediately retreat you should not make excuses. You should be glad to be enlightened. And I think that takes a big person. Pivot. When, when you learn you should pivot, you need to pivot and not save face. And I think especially today uh, in these times. Um, and the third uh, thing I would say that I've learned from a couple of um, big CEOs who I've worked for, and that is we will always have in the workplace tensions with peers. We may have strained relationships. We may have dust-ups. There may even been people who've done us wrong, <laughs> outright malice. And what I would say, as I've watched others, you need to let that go. If you hold on to it, you will only aid yourself. And the second thing that will happen, not only are you eating yourself up from the inside, but there may be in the future scenarios where you might do genius things together and enjoy it. So harboring it forecloses on the chance for a great relationship, for great outcomes. So be the big person. Do yourself a favor and let it go. Thank you. I think that's a precious lesson that too few people leave by in reality like everybody says like oh i've let it go but then underneath it's hard to let it go and i think like the other thing that is really they really appreciate the second point that you made um you know a lot of leaders say oh i don't like to be on my team because I'm, everybody's smarter than me on the team you know but then when an idea that is not their idea comes up very few have the ability to say like, oh, there is actually somebody smarter than me on my team and she's 22 years younger than me <laughs> and she has a better... You know, and the other thing in this world of big data and analytics and AI, there's constant discussion about confirmation bias. I'm setting out to ensure that my view is substantiated. So make sure that you you know, make sure that that's not how you're um, forming or holding a position on something important when in fact there's a better way. Yes. And thank you so much. So we're going to move to, uh, you know, you interesting. You said you want to have whole people uh, on your team. And so I'm going to bring out some of the things outside of work. What are some of your passions outside of work and how have they informed 
you know, who you are overall and then maybe even who you are with, within your work? Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest passion for me for my whole life, um, Dino, is um, travel. So, you know, principally leisure travel, but I mentioned to you travel for care to parts that have never been on my leisure list. And certainly, you know, global travel to see colleagues in India or Poland or wherever it may be. So for me, um, travel is enriching. It lets me understand culture. It teaches me history. And it just gives me a better sensibility of the world. And and also, you know, it, it makes me understand that as Americans, sometimes we really could open um, our attitudes. My first in earnest, full-on, really global role, not just a little bit of travel, but really a global role. But one of the biggest lessons I learned, um, Dino, is in American-based um, firms talk about U.S. and international, and I will never say that again. There are regions of the world, and the Americas is one region, and it totally resets your mind, and it brings different um, behaviors to meetings with people on the world, and you really see the world that way as opposed to we're the center and there's everything else. Good. And so the other question I have, so there are certain uh, business phrases. I have a few that trigger me. Uh I'm wondering if there's any of the like the lingo phrases, if there's anyone that when you hear it, it makes you want to rip your hair off and <laughs> which one it is. It makes me want to come and help. So here's the one that I just think, oh, no. So how many times have you heard an organization say our mission is to exceed our customers expectations? Do you know what that means to me? That organization has punted on strategy. The hard work is to actually do the work to set the proper expectations and meet them. Southwest Airlines took away my boarding pass. They took away the upfront seats on the plane, but they were really clear in what they were doing. And they told me to expect all of that. They made it campy. They made it fun. They never charged me to cancel a ticket. They never hassle me. They never fight with me. So that's harder. What they're about goes through their policies. It goes through their customer experience. I know what to expect and they deliver what they tell me. So you can see the difference. The other thing I'm just saying, you don't know who you are, what you're trying to do for someone. So I I just think it's such a dodge. That is a fabulous example. I have to, I have to confess that like I came up with this question. I'm like, I don't know if it's going to work. And I've had two, this is my second episode and I'm learning so much. (laughs) And like people are really surprising me in a fabulous way. Um, Final question, I have this uh, thing that I call, and you can answer both or just pick one. I call it either food for the body or food for the soul. Is there a favorite either recipe or drink that you love and want to share with us or food for the soul, art, any kind of art, music, literature, something that is... So let me tell you, I have come to be really passionate about a part of art that is, it turns out it's portraits by teenagers. And I shared one with you. I shared I did, yes. So what has been joyful to me, joyful, is to happen upon young, talented artists 
who don't even understand how magnificent and rare their talents are. And so what's amazing to me is to connect with them to be a sponsor. I commission their art. Number two, I encourage them to say, as you have time, can I help you think about how you might want to launch this as a business? They don't know how to charge for it. They don't know how to package for it. It's not what they're thinking. So to just be a gentle um, you know, force the wind at their back and to watch their eyes open when 10 other people commission this work and they begin to understand, you know, what they have because they clearly do it for joy. Um, so that's become, you know, uh, I can become a bit of a mentor advisor to people who had gifts that I can't even understand. I don't have those gifts. So that's food for my soul. How did you, I, I, that's such an interesting and specific art. How did that interest, uh, you know, where did it come with? Was it like scene one and all of a sudden being struck or? Yeah, so um, I knew um, at Digitas, I had a colleague whose daughter did these charcoal sketches of pets. They looked like photographs. They looked like photographs. They were unbelievable. So I helped her. I introduced, I exposed her work to many. I helped her pricing packaging. And then when I saw, um, you know, Hari's daughter had done a rapper um, who'd been murdered and I just couldn't get over. It was such a genre. And I don't know if she even, like it was art. So then, as you know, I was in touch with her. I live in Nashville. I commissioned Miley Cyrus for my bar <laughs> where I'm sitting out for framing I'm introducing her to others so I happened upon it but um it gives me it will give me such joy to look at Miley people think I'm crazy I don't care and uh, <laughs> she's doing Casey Musgraves for my daughter as a birthday gift so it's uh, something I happened upon but when I realize I can help them launch if I just keep giving a little push encouragement you know it's interesting because I think um it's interesting that you're choosing that specific form of art because having a daughter who was really into theater in high school and she was more into the, she's a costumist, but I, I happened, she was involved in 13 productions over the four years that she was there. And I have seen almost all of them. And there is something very special about art that is being generated at that age, because there is a, you know, obviously very few people are true geniuses and develop and fully form as artists, but there's an enthusiasm and a freshness that comes into the approach because they're still discovering the art, whatever is the art form. Like even, you know, high school bands that may yeah. not sound very good, but what they bring to the art form is very unique and very endearing. Well, you know, the way I think of it, it's so pure. Do you know? Yes. Pure. And that's how many things in this world are pure. So that's what's just really fun to isolate that and see if you can nurture it. And that was the end of our conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating or review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you like music, stick around, because at the end of the credits, I'm going to share another song by my wife, Susan Cattaneo, who is one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. You can find me online at al4ep.com, that is with the number 4, so al4ep.com. You can also email me at dino at al4ep.com. This episode was produced and recorded by me. 
The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicholas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Saverino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. As promised, I am going to leave you with a song by Susan. I'm partial to this song because Susan let me play a few bars of guitar in the intro. The song is called Can't Chase a Train. Thank you very much and see you at the next episode. Chase the train